0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquariumania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida, IFAS Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Setting up an aquarium requires a lot of homework. You need to know about your fish and what kind of environment they need to be healthy and to thrive. So what goes into opening a whole new public aquarium with many different systems and hundreds and hundreds of species? My guest today, Steve Bitter, has worked for years in the aquarium industry, developing and opening public aquaria in the US, Asia, and Europe. In November of 2020, he opened the aquarium at the Boardwalk in Branson, Missouri, where he serves as director of husbandry. Join us as Steve shares his journey from building systems in the Arizona desert to building Branson's newest aquatic animal oasis. We'll be right back after these messages. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Steve Bitter, Director of Husbandry for the Aquarium at the Boardwalk in Branson, Missouri. Thanks for joining us. So, Steve, I know you've had quite an interesting and, and really um, cool background in both retail and public aquaria, but before we sort of talk about that and Aquarium at the Boardwalk, I wanted to touch base with you on uh, sort of your way, way back history in getting into the aquarium hobby. How did you first get interested in fish? And uh, do you remember what your first tank setups were?
1: I wrote, yeah, absolutely. I do. I, um, like a lot of us, I was interested in animals as a kid. I think a lot of us kind of share that in the uh, the field and, and in the hobby. And I didn't fall in love with aquatics until just before high school, really. I was kind of late to the party. I know a lot of people that started earlier than that, but um my first setup was uh, just like a lot of listeners here, I had, you know, like 10 gallon starter kit, you know, pretty off the shelf kind of basic setup. And I kept freshwater tropical fish and just had a ball with it, you know, and, and like so many of us, it just snowballed from there. I was doing a saltwater tank within a year before I moved out for college. I think I had five or six tanks going in, in my bedroom and, uh, you know, really just continued with it from there. And I still have fish at the house 30 years later. So it's um, something that's always kind of been a part of my life and I love it. You know, the
0: aquarium hobby is great. Oh, I agree completely. So tell us about your days in retail. I know you, you actually worked in the hobby as a, a retail person yourself. And I think you mentioned something about starting in college. I'm not sure if you started earlier than that.
1: Uh, I started earlier than that. I was in high school. You know, As soon as I was old enough to get a job, I was really excited to go out and work with fish. And I got a job at PetSmart one summer when I was in high school and had you know, the time of my life up to that point, I really enjoyed working at that aquatics department and, you know, just talking with customers and, and, you know, felt like we were geeking out about fish all day and helping people be successful. From there, actually, I got invited to open a small kind of family-owned store that was full line pets. So, there was a lot of aquatics there, which I love, but I also got to work with uh, reptiles and, you know, small mammals, ferrets and hamsters and all that stuff. And there was birds and, and, you know, a lot of really interesting animals came through there. So it was a lot of fun and, um, you know, great high school job. And then yes, I continued through through college um, off and on working um, in fish departments and then out of school, I uh, started working full-time and got really serious about aquariums as a, a potential career, at least something I wanted to become great at.
0: So, I guess, tell me a little bit about Arizona. Now, that's kind of a sort of known as sort of a desert place. So, how do aquariums and and uh, that sort of thing kind of fit into that backdrop? And and also, do you remember things back then in the aquarium hobby that maybe are a little different from where they are now?
1: Oh, gosh, yes. They were really different. And I've thought about that a lot. I don't know what the appeal was of aquatics when I was in the desert. But, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience with the ocean. I didn't really have all that connectivity. It was just something that kind of happened to catch my attention and and I like I say fell in love with it. But um yeah, there was uh you know a lot less access to information then I think. And um, you know, we were reading all the the magazines and periodicals and stuff when we could get them. But um realistically you learned a lot from your aquarium shop and that was a, a really important source of information. And I think people's success was um you know kind of driven by the quality of advice that they were getting from from you know the support they were getting at the aquarium shop. Um, And so I was really fortunate. I had uh, a really good friend um, that was into it with me at that time, and and the two of us would go and, um, you know, really try to find smart people that we could learn from. And and early on, um, we did some things that are pretty cool in hindsight. You know, I had this, well, my first saltwater setup was a 30-gallon hexagon tank, which isn't a great saltwater tank necessarily, but, you know, we had access to a lot of interesting animals back then that we probably these days wouldn't wouldn't attempt, you know, and we, uh, you know, like I say, got hands on with with a lot of cool stuff. And uh, this was before, you know, coral reef tanks were really achievable too. So when I think about my time in the hobby, it was a cool time to, to sort of grow. Because I think when I was in college, it started to become more accessible. And, and, you know, we kind of figured out how reef tanks work to an extent. And, and there was some great, you know, publications coming out at the time, but you could plan on being able to reproduce that success and you know, some of the voodoo kind of came out of the hobby and, and you could figure out how things were going to work and so it was a cool time to watch the hobby explode then and you know of course i was in it professionally by that and was able to watch you know just a total industry change and, and coral propagation and these really uh, niche reef systems and, and some very cool stuff on the saltwater side was happening back then along with you know the freshwater planted aquascape revolution was kind of happening at the same time. And it was a neat time to be a part of all that stuff.
0: When you were working for that, the other pet store, is that when you started doing tank setups as well? Was that for part of that or was that a separate business?
1: We were pretty mainstream when I was in high school and and I didn't really get serious, I don't think, until I got out of college. And I worked for a company in Arizona that was uh, aquarium only called AquaTouch. And at the time it was a, a kind of a premier aquarium shop. And Remember, too, timing was really important with that because this was uh, early two thousands, and um, you know the mortgage boom was happening, the housing boom was happening, and so everybody had all these like shiny new houses that they wanted to put a cool aquarium in, and so we ended up doing some really ambitious installs back then, and um, everybody wanted exciting new rare fish, and so we we did um, you know a lot of really interesting sourcing, and I worked with animals that um, you know I think a lot of hobbyist level people probably don't get to work with, you know there was seahorses and cephalopods and stingrays and stuff that you know I probably Looking back, 22-year-old me probably didn't have a lot of business working with those animals, but um, I got the opportunity and it was a real growth thing for me. It was great.
0: Well, that, that kind of makes a lot of sense. And so then uh, I guess we'll segue into public aquariums. I believe your first aquarium jobs were with the Florida Aquarium and then at Sea Life. Can you talk a little bit about how you made that transition and a little bit about what you did at those two places?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's something we talk about a lot in in my department now about how much the the skills apply. So, you know, going back, I spent about six years in like a serious retail environment doing the stuff I just talked about where we did, you know, quarantine of fish coming in um, a lot of, uh, you know, you just handle a lot of animals because you're buying and selling. Um, And so there's a lot of acclimation and dealing with medical things. And uh, of course, the coral hobby was exploding at the time. So I had a lot of hands on with corals. And so after, you know, six years or so, I uh, eventually decided to leave that company and um, wasn't sure how those skills were going to translate. And, uh, you know, it was a cool environment because we would all push each other to, to get better and try to you know, become more serious as hobbyists and, and professional hobbyists. And those skills, as it turns out, were really applicable. And one of the reasons is every day we're dealing with customers, and and you're essentially teaching you know beginners how to do the fundamental things that go with aquariums. And I think you master your fundamentals really well by teaching it over and over and over again. So people that are really serious in the hobby, I think there may be this perception that um, you know there's all this high-level science and all these things that happen in a public aquarium that. You never even brush up on the hobby. And I I think that's wrong. I think a lot of that stuff is very much cross applicable. So when I went to the Florida Aquarium, you know, they took a risk on me, you know, somebody that hadn't had public aquarium experience before and coming in, I wasn't sure how prepared for that kind of work I would be. But um, it turned out that uh, all those skills that I'd spent so much time developing in the hobby, Came in really handy, you know. I had learned scientific names because I had run a fish department and had to do purchasing, and so I learned if I wanted the right fish, I needed to shop by scientific name instead of you know the common names that get so muddled when you're in the retail side. I learned a lot of uh, you know nuances of water chemistry because you know a dozen people a day are going to come in and say, "Hey, I'm having an algae problem. You know, what do I do?" And so you start to get into water testing and water quality and, and troubleshooting, and like I say, all that stuff turned out to be really applicable. And so, you know, I came in feeling kind of nervous to make that transition, but it turned out that was the perfect job for me. And uh, Florida Aquarium is this beautiful facility, uh, as you know, because it's near where you are, boy, but, you know, there's so many unique things about that building that um, I got really cool experiences there. And, and again, it was a really cool Kind of piece of timing in my career. That was a time when they were looking for somebody to come in and do quarantine as well as uh, work with the coral collection there. And um, you know, quarantine obviously was in my background because that had been a part of my time in in the retail world. So I felt prepared to do that. And then I came into the coral department there, not really knowing, but but they were working with Caribbean corals. So there's all these protected species and you know these native stony corals that in the hobby you're not allowed to get anywhere near so I knew of these corals but I never even really encountered them up close and all of a sudden I get to take care of them and uh, you know something we'd always kind of dreamt about was doing outdoor like sun-driven culture of corals out in natural sunlight and uh, I got immediately to take over a rooftop greenhouse coral farm on the on the aquarium campus there So I'm growing corals, you know, in the Florida sun and just thinking, how did I get this opportunity? This is amazing. So while I was at Florida, I did all that cool coral work in the aquarium building and I met some amazing people who are still really good friends um, to this day and got to work with some really interesting fish and sharks and stuff that was, you know, on a scale that I hadn't done before. But we also had this fieldwork component where we were, you know, helping to do some coral restoration and especially coral spawning. You know, that felt like new science to us at the time where we'd go out and collect egg bundles from um, mature coral colonies either in a offshore nursery or in you know, natural reef habitats and we'd want to collect, you know, they spawn once a year, we'd collect those eggs and try to figure out how to crossbreed them and settle them and get them through those stages. And I was part of the team for um, several years in a row that was part of chipping away at that science. And of course now Florida Aquarium has turned that into, you know, kind of a standard thing that they do every year. And they're able to, uh, you know, reproduce corals like crazy. And that was always a dream of ours. So um, it was cool to be a part of that work at that time, and now to see that come to fruition. Like I say, it was a really great time to be part of that, just that organization and the work they were doing.
0: And then you made the change to, um, or you decided, I guess, to take a even bigger role in uh, Arizona. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, Arizona is home for me, and um, we, you uh, know, I, I didn't. Ever expect to leave Florida? I loved my time at that aquarium, and and felt like there couldn't be anything better for me in the world. But you know, families back home, and and we had some things happening um, on the family side, and and uh, my wife's family had some health stuff going on, and we just um, kind of realized that uh, as important as work was, there was some things we wanted to be a part of back home with our family, and um, it was fortuitous because a job opened up at uh, a little aquarium in a shopping mall called Sea Life Arizona, and um, I looked at that role. Didn't really know the aquarium, didn't really know any of the people there. Um, And I hadn't heard much about it. So I kind of went into the situation and just thought, you know, I'll I'll take a look and investigate it. And I went into that building and felt like there was a lot of potential there. And the building itself had really good bones. You know, you could do a lot of things you needed to. And um, you could tell a lot of thought had gone in on the front end from some of the folks that were involved in there. And it just You know, staff wise, they'd they'd had some stability issues there. I think I was like the third curator in four years and they just never had really hit a stride. And I felt like that was a cool opportunity on the personnel side to try to build a team there that would um, kind of achieve the potential of that aquarium. And so we moved back to Arizona and I took that opportunity and I spent um, almost three years there. And, uh, in that time we, um, did a lot of cool projects. There's a beautiful animal collection there and it's a smaller aquarium, you know, Florida aquarium, something like a million gallons, uh, when I was there. Sea life is, is closer to I think 220,000 gallons total, and so this was you know kind of a, a smaller scale, a smaller team, but still you know plenty big to be intimidating for me. And one of the cool things about the sea life aquariums is that when you run that department, um, it's a lot less specialized than uh, some of your bigger, more traditional public aquariums. And so we were responsible for so many more things, or so many different facets of that that building, like uh, all the filtration and life support. And suddenly, it was my department and. Um, all the scuba diving, all of the medical and quarantine stuff, you know, we had access to a really talented vet, but we would execute the medical stuff. There was uh, collection planning and all the day-to-day husbandry and, and um, you know, just all these different facets that normally you have colleagues who are dedicated to those things. And we had to do all that. So to get exposure to all those things and take responsibility for them, it definitely made us all grow. And I was really proud of the team um, that we put together there and, and uh, stay in touch with all them. They've gone on to do Some pretty amazing things.
0: And then you decided to travel. Tell us uh, maybe briefly about that before we um, take a break.
1: I don't know if uh, it was something I ever expected, but I got a phone call one day saying that, um, hey, we've got a a project we're opening um, across the world in central China. And, um, you know, it's going a little bit slower than we want. They've had some challenges there and uh, we're looking for some help. And um, I'm sure I wasn't the first person they called, but I think I was the first person that said yes. And, I, you know, was really fortunate. They they got me a visa and sent put me on a plane, and I went to China for for three solid months and uh, learned how to work in a completely different part of the world. And that's a challenge, I think, no matter where you are. But I had only worked in the United States, and um, so a lot of the things that I assumed were true about working over there were very different. I mean, we're talking different pipe sizes, different manufacturers, different uh, product availability. So the way I knew how to solve problems going into that building weren't necessarily an option. We had to learn a lot of new and creative ways to do things over there. And that absolutely made me grow. And uh, I think it made me age about five years and three months too. I mean, it was really stressful, but you know, we were able to get that aquarium open. And, and the last day I was there, we did a soft opening and I got to see the first group of the public run in and kids run up to the touch tank and and started just having the time of their life, you know, and um, it was a really rewarding experience. So that was my exposure to international travel and new aquarium openings. And from there, I got invited to join the global team that did that full time for Merlin Entertainment. And we opened, um, you know, significantly uh, more aquariums around the world in the next couple of years.
0: So maybe before the break, any one great memorable story you can think of in one of those during one of those openings?
1: Oh gosh, yes. There's dozens. Probably the most entertaining moment for me was uh, we were doing a project in northern China, and uh, we did. A really successful initial stocking period and, and the curator there was uh, helping to translate for me he was you know fluent in English and chinese and there was uh kind of some big celebration that went along with the sharks arriving it was this big media event that they wanted to share with um, that community because they've been waiting for that that aquarium to open for so long so you know we get the sharks in and, and there's some cameras set up there and people are really excited and, um, you know, I was very task focused, trying to get these sharks off the truck safely. And it was kind of a long way from the truck to the, the actual exhibit. So we had to kind of do this long transport through a building up an elevator. And, you know, we kind of focused on that. We get the animals up and safely and see if they're navigating well. And, um, yeah, it feels like a big success. And uh, so I'm there in my wetsuit, you know, cause we've helped put these sharks in and um, the curator calls me over and says, Hey, uh, come and, come and talk to this reporter for a moment. And they start, you know, doing a kind of a Q and A about, you know, the sharks and I'm, I'm comfortable doing that sort of thing. And then he says to me, you know, there's 300,000 people watching this right now. Uh, what do you have to say to all them? You know, and the scale of how many people were like in that region of the world just hit me. And I totally froze. <laughs> I just didn't know what to say, but uh, you know, it was a really cool place to work because there was so many people that were going to come and check out this facility and- and see the art that we had put together. And I remember you know, just being really startled that, that we had access to that kind of an audience. It was very cool.
0: Uh, that is that is great. I don't think I've ever seen you freeze, Steve, but it's funny to hear. I was like a deer in
1: headlights. It was wild.
0: <laughs> well, let's take a short break and we'll continue our discussion with my guest, Steve Bitter, director of husbandry at the Aquarium at the Boardwalk after these messages.
1: Take a bite out of your competition.
0: We're back and continuing our conversation with my guest, Steve Bitter, director of husbandry at the Aquarium at the Boardwalk in Branson, Missouri. So I know you have so many more stories and I wish we had a lot more time, but I want to get to your current job and and really cool place, the uh, Aquarium at the Boardwalk. So you're in Branson now. What made you decide to stop the travel and kind of settle down and why did you choose this project in particular?
1: I didn't really know much about Branson. The aquarium that I'm with now is owned by a company called Cuvera. And it's, uh, this is their first aquarium. And I think my time with Merlin was really interesting because that's the biggest aquarium company in the world. And so my time with them, you know, they had, I think, 60 some aquariums. And I think we broke 70 by the time I was there and we opened up eight more sites. And so you know i'd kind of seen what an organization like that looks like kind of at the high levels and, and seeing uh, how to operate you know just a big business like that that was really a collection of, of small individual businesses and there was an appeal to this aquarium because um there's a lot of similarities between this company and the one i was with previously they have operated attractions for a number of years they've kind of had to, to scrap and fight and grow you know like a lot of small businesses do and they've kind of gotten to this really amazing spot where they were able to launch this this big aquarium Um, that had these really big, ambitious uh, plans for it. And um, so kind of knowing that that was... There was so many similarities between these guys and Merlin. It was kind of cool to think about going through those growth steps and and watching an organization like that develop as an aquarium attraction. You know, there's so many great things happening in this company on the customer service side, but aquariums were brand new. So we were going to kind of shape policy. We were going to develop creative ideas and figure out what our strategy was, how we were going to approach an audience, what our plan for conservation and education and all the mission driven stuff would be and, and to really Um, Being on the ground floor for that sort of thing and watch this company grow was really exciting to me. You know, if I'm honest, traveling internationally for months at a time takes its toll as well. So I was certainly uh, ready to get off the road for a while and stay put and didn't know that there was a pandemic coming. But um, it turned out that this was an amazing place for us to to move when we did and kind of get to know the community here a little bit and get through the project. And then we've been um, in a really fortunate position throughout 2020 to have a a good spot to live and work and and sort of be removed from some of the most intense places around the world.
0: So given that, and yeah, you're right. That is definitely a fortuitous with COVID happening. Can you uh, describe the mission, major themes and exhibits at the aquarium at the boardwalk? Maybe give us kind of a verbal guided tour.
1: Sure. Um, you know, we're, well, I'll back up because Branson's an interesting place. And so your bigger sort of metro area, traditional nonprofit aquariums serve, I think, kind of a different audience in that, you know, you see a lot of the same people over and over again, and there's a lot of repeat visitors and people that are there maybe on field trips and stuff to uh, kind of get a lot of the layers of an aquarium. And, and Branson's a very tourist focused town. You know, I mean, sometimes at work, we say it's our, our first, second and third most important industry is tourism. It's a town of you know, 15 to 20,000 permanent residents. And we get in a normal year, something like 9 million tourists here. I mean, it's it's insane the amount of people that come here for really short visits, typically, whether it's, um, you know, family vacation for a weekend or a week, or we get bus tours certain times of the year where people come down and, and catch shows. But, you know, we're seeing most of our visitors for the first and, and maybe only time. And it's a very family focused place as well. And so we knew that our aquarium needed to, you know, really appeal to families and especially kids and so we we focused our building around that and you know we we talked about the mission side and all the important animal care standards um, that are so similar but kind of the overarching theme of the aquarium as we talked about it and developed it was fish and fun you know we want to balance the the entertainment component with um you know doing right by the animals and hoping to get people to connect and And really take something away from their experience up close with really an amazing animal collection. So that was sort of the philosophy that went into it. And it's uh, a unique facility in that way. And and you can tell as soon as you come up to our building, because probably the marquee thing that people will take away from our aquarium is actually not indoors. We've got a um, uh, 40 some odd foot octopus sculpture on the front of our building. It's this massive stainless steel uh, installation. And it's this really cool piece of kind of modern art. That uh, lights up at night and it's amazing photo opportunity, but, you know, it just makes our building stand out in the skyline because we've got this octopus on it. You know, it's really wild. And, um, you know, from there, uh, that same attention to detail went into the building. So we had some uh, remarkable creative people put together, you know, some really cool theming that goes uh, not just inside of our exhibits, but the outside too. So the whole building kind of has this immersive feel and there's layers of, it's very visually stimulating and very colorful and, and very interesting Um like there's niche places where, you know, it's dark and there's black lights and very cool stuff that that uh, kind of sets the mood. And that made for a really fun environment to design exhibits and put together an animal collection and try to tell, uh, you know, the most interesting stories that I could come up with for, for animals in the ocean. And so we've got a, it's an exclusively saltwater collection. The the building itself is about 400,000 gallons total. Um, and we do have a 60,000 gallon offsite quarantine facility as well. But it's, it's uh, you know, just a unique place. We've got a really diverse um, our our big exhibit the grand aquarium is really diverse you know there's over 100 species living pretty much harmoniously together you know and that was a fun compositional thing as an aquarium hobbyist and somebody that loves to stock you know aquarium ecosystems to be able to put all these fish in and hope that they were going to do well together and see that they did that was um, a pretty fun project and um, then we've got you know unique niche tanks anywhere from i don't know 20 to 8,000 gallons um, of these other exhibits kind of around the periphery. And uh, that'll showcase things like stingrays or garden eels or lobsters, or, um, you know, even some of the tiny, you know, mantis shrimp and other niche kind of invertebrates out there. So there's a lot of interesting uh, things in this animal collection. And, um, you know, the goal was to try to find something that everybody would connect with and then put that animal in the best kind of environment to connect with our guests. And I think it's been a pretty good success.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to visiting at some point. So you we kind of talked a little bit about retail, and I'm going to go back a little bit and ask you, based on kind of how home hobbyists approach setting up Aquaria, how would you kind of make parallels between what you have to do on a much grander scale with a public aquarium? And what are maybe some lessons that you can give some of the home Aquaria folks in sort of the same vein?
1: Well, you know, animals aren't necessarily different in either of those arenas. And so I think a lot of the same habits apply. And one of the things that um, is a, a very basic standard of care in public aquariums that I think I've always kind of recommended for home hobbyists is we come in every morning and we do what we call our AM checks. And the first thing you need to do uh, in a public aquarium is to go and just spend a moment with those exhibits, observe every animal in the exhibit, and do that every single day to build some familiarity with what that baseline normal is. And we also inspect all of our equipment, you know, not for hours at a time, but just get a good look, get a set of eyes on everything and spend a few minutes with it. And you end up developing this kind of habit of knowing what normal is and it makes it really easy to spot problems and i i say the same thing to home hobbyists you know the most successful people are the ones that you know just for five or ten minutes a day come and, and check out the tank enjoy it you know feed the fish yes but also take a good look and, and watch how everybody's doing and you know really fall in love with your tank too and uh, i think that's kind of the point of having an aquarium is to spend the time with it but It's sort of this disciplined regularity where you can check out what your animals are doing. And and so, you know, we formalize that in the public aquarium world, but I think that's a really good habit for home hobbyists to have as well. You know, we do regimented uh, scheduled water changes. and, And one of the things that we do a lot is, is putting effort into making stuff easy to do. And so when you do a water change in a public aquarium, In most cases, you know, we do like gravel vacuuming and targeted cleaning. And, um, you know, that's, that's a big part of aquarium keeping, but we also, if we just need to do a water exchanger, if we need to do a top offer uh, so that, you know, we take some time on the front end and build in uh, infrastructure. So you might have a drain in your tank with a valve on it so that you can open that up and drop the water level to a certain level and, and just have that water removed from your exhibit without you know having to haul buckets around and all the labor that goes along with that. And, um, you know, that used to be pretty challenging to do in the home hobby, but these days that's actually, um, I don't know if it's cheap, but it's definitely achievable and, and people can do that, um, really comfortably. And I think if it's easier, our logic is we're going to be more likely to do it and do it correctly when it's required. So, you know, we might, uh, do automatic top-offs in in a home hobby setup or, um, you know, have real-time monitoring or get really nice timers for different things, you know. Try to put some work in at the front end and make aquarium care easier. And um, when you're excited and you want to bring home a new fish and you just kind of throw something together and you've got, you know, a million cords plugged into one power strip thrown behind your tank, it kind of creates this little bit of chaos. And and I think um, taking a few minutes to kind of organize all those things and really make your maintenance easier. And, you know, it's going to make you more likely to do that and, and you'll be a better hobbyist at home. I could get really into that one too. <laughs> I, uh, I'm just building a fish room at home right now, and, and thinking about all these things. But um, you know, I think a lot of those habits are, are just you know doing. It's the same everywhere, right? So animal care to me is doing the same things correctly over and over again, and creating that stability for our animals. And so just making those things uh, pleasant and easy to do.
0: That is really great advice. Now speaking of kind of habits and people, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about personnel. I know personnel and and having the right people is really important and as well as having pretty good ideas of what each group is supposed to do. Can you tell us a little bit briefly about the kind of departments or different groups of people at the aquarium, at the boardwalk and kind of their duties?
1: Yes. I'm part of the husbandry department and uh, within my department, I've got the aquarist team and I've also got the life support team, which is, uh, you know, public aquarium is what we call our filtration and our um, kind of equipment side of things. So my life support department is headed by a, a life support manager who's um, one of them, as well as um, our dive operations. So he handles our dive equipment and um, administers our dive program. And uh, he's got a team of people that work with him and they handle really all the the filtration equipment and um, some of the central like building systems. So, you know, we've got like air blowers and things that service the whole building. And so that's a, a Pretty common department within a public aquarium. And then on the aquarist side, uh, I've got a team of, uh, gosh, I think we're, I should know the number of people right now, but, um, but it's, it's many aquarists. I've got two senior aquarists um, who are also, I would die without them. And they sort of oversee the, the animal care explicitly. So that's going to be the medical side of things. That's going to be, you know, food prep, uh, water chemistry falls under that side. So we test um, water every day and uh there's um, a lot of training that goes into that and, and these are pretty common tasks in a public aquarium in a bigger facility you know people that are looking at this kind of work might expect to encounter you know maybe a separate diving department and uh you know when when place is taking volunteers a lot of times there's volunteer divers and that's a good place to get some exposure you might also have an animal health team uh, which uh, we don't have at, at aquarium at the boardwalk but um you know, that's kind of built in with our, our uh, aquarist team because, um, you know, we do administer all the, the medical and quarantine treatments um, with the help of our contracted vets. And uh, water chemistry sometimes is its own department. But again, our, our aquarists are all skilled and able to operate all of our water quality uh, equipment. And so we handle it that way. And so, you know, it's a lot of hats and we're responsible for really every facet of these large scale aquarium systems. You know, the same way a home hobbyist would be responsible for everything that has to do with, with taking care of that aquarium.
0: So with regard to um, kind of a mission and and, uh, sort of your whole big picture scope for the aquarium, are there any special research or outreach or educational projects that you have started or are looking to start in the future? Anything you want to kind of mention? Well,
1: there are. There's. I mean, we have a lot of big dreams and there's a lot of cool stuff. For, for those that don't know Branson, Missouri, we're in the Ozarks in Missouri, so it's about as far from the ocean as you can get, but it's actually this real hotspot of freshwater biodiversity. And there's a lot of cool reptiles and amphibians and you know, different freshwater fish that live in this region. Um, and so there's, I think there's a lot of collaborative stuff that um, we look to in the future. But if I'm honest, we haven't gotten a lot of that off the ground yet. The the stuff that we are focused on, you know, it was a huge task to get this aquarium open. So that's kind of where all of our energy has gone. But we early on decided we wanted to do something really meaningful. And because, um, you know, all of our time and energy was going to be consumed opening this aquarium and, and doing the stuff here kind of in our lap we wanted to find a, a cause that we believed in to just support financially and, and through amplifying their message. And because of my time in Florida, the thing I recommend is that we, we look at coral restoration and, and we connected with Coral Restoration Foundation in uh, Key Largo in, in the Florida Keys. And they're somebody that a lot of your listeners are probably really familiar with, but um, they're doing outplanting planting and, um, you know, reef rehab essentially for a lot of uh really imperiled stony corals in, in the Florida reef tract. And, and then they've expanded all that outreach and replicated their model around the Caribbean and around the world, really. So it's this very cool kind of developmental process that they put together that grows corals in you know safer areas nearer to the shore in the ocean gets those coral fragments up to a reasonable size. They take them out to reefs that have had, you know, degradation from either disease or storms or whatever. They plant these things out. And the hope is that those small coral colonies will develop into big, sexually mature coral colonies and start to spawn and reproduce and repopulate the reef. And you know, that takes years and years, but they've gotten some really cool results. And there's a lot of places where their outplanted corals are starting to redevelop those ecosystems. And you know, all the same ocean hazards haven't really gone away, but that's a really meaningful thing for for them to do. And so we were thrilled. We decided to support them financially and we collect donations in our gift shop. And we have uh, a lot of our guests will donate money to them at the point of sale of tickets. And we've been able to put together some really uh, significant funding for them. And we also have some really cool graphics that we put up on a wall um, within our aquarium, and we're trying to tell their story. Because one thing we have access to that is unique to us is we've got this audience. You know, there's however many people come through our door every day interested in learning and connecting with animals. And and so that's a place for us to tell a meaningful story. And we've been able to do those things. And so that's um that's probably our most favorite accomplishment uh, so far. And actually, uh, a couple of days from now, I'm going to fly down, and, um, finally get to visit their nursery and, and you know, see uh, how that's developed and grow grown and so my staff are going to go with we're going to outplant some corals and we're thrilled to kind of finally make firsthand contact with them but that's something that we expect to continue to grow and as i say there's some other projects that we'd like to get off the ground that um you know just aren't quite there yet but it's it's a cool place to have you know dreams like that and be able to to really get involved
0: no, That sounds great. And definitely the coral work that they're doing as well as many of the other folks down here is, is really important. So I appreciate you guys helping out with that. I've got just one or two more questions. So, you know, a lot of people, and I'm sure, you know, you know, over the years, many of them as well, dream about working in an aquarium, in a public aquarium. What are your recommendations for students or even, you know, folks that are out of school that are interested in working in the field And kind of what are you looking for, you know, as a um, kind of a head of an aquarium for an aquarist or educator or other positions at your facility?
1: Sure. We get this question a lot and it's it's a challenging one to answer because if I'm honest, so many people in the public aquarium field come from such different backgrounds. And I think there is sort of a textbook way to prepare for it. It's a challenging thing to really feel like that's necessarily the best way. You know, I think um, the traditional route is to go to school and study marine biology and, and, um, you know, get familiar with fundamentals of ocean chemistry and uh, animal biology and um, try to think through how that would translate to an aquarium. The challenge is that very few academic programs, as you know, are really aquarium focused. You know, there's kind of this skew towards research and ocean research, which is so important, um, but those skills don't necessarily overlap with taking care of animals in a human care environment. And so in addition to that academic side, I think so much of this kind of work is experience-based. And, uh, you know, I may maybe a little bit biased in my perception of that because I learned this through industry in the retail world. But certainly you can learn this in a non-academic setting and, and probably faster, I think, if you've got hands-on with animals. And so for a lot of people, that might mean volunteering. That might mean doing an internship and not everybody has that opportunity. And so, you know, a lot of it is just um, very focused Study and practice, and just getting better as a hobbyist. And, um, you know, some of the best technical interviews I've ever had from different people um, are people that are really high level hobbyists and have just devoted themselves to really digging into how an aquarium works. And so, you know, if I'm giving advice, I don't recommend maybe anybody take the route I took to get here, but, um, it's worth getting some hands-on experience, especially if you're a student that's in school and, and you know, looking towards this kind of career, make sure that your curriculum is giving you some skills that make sense within a, you know, an aquarium care environment. And if not, you know, there are programs out there that, you know, I could think of uh, the Oregon Coast program and there's a couple over here on the East Coast, there's a couple in the Midwest that have aquarium science specific degrees. You know, people thinking about going into school specific to this work might look at a program like that. Or again, that hands-on experience in combination with a good grounding in, in you know, Marine Biology Foundation, I think that's going to help a lot. And and it's an imperfect industry, and one of the things that drives me crazy is that you know we don't have a great industry standard for onboarding people. So I think a lot of people coming out of the hobby feel uh, maybe anxious that oh gosh I've never worked with you know a tank bigger than a hundred gallons or I've never been around a sea turtle or a shark or some of the other things that that mm-hmm. exist in a public aquarium, and I think that's you know automatically disqualifying. And I don't think that's true. And I think the best thing is at least in my department we talk about this a lot. You know everybody's going to come into the public aquarium field with gaps in their experience. And so it's up to us as managers and as a department to make it okay to recognize that and, you know, kind of let people acknowledge the stuff they've never gotten to do before and then really quickly train and develop and try to grow those skills and build people into more complete public aquarists. And that's something that I think I'd like everybody to know because you can come in with really strong fundamentals and it'll set you up to learn all the things that are unique to public aquariums.
0: I think that is great advice and really a great approach. And yeah, I agree with you, uh, Steve, completely. And I think probably that is also kind of on the flip side of that is, you know, knowing what you do know and what you don't know and really being open to learning and and always kind of continuing to learn and, uh, you know, relearn what you need to
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, there's so many things out there. I mean, I remember, you know, I don't want to embarrass you, but we had some of your papers when I was working at the retail shop and that was <laughs> in our, our stack of, you know, resources. And, you know, we just knew we needed to learn how to antibiotics work. You know, I still have a copy of one of your papers that it's like yellow from all the times that we, you know, used it at the water quality station and, and dug through that stuff. And, um, you know, really, really pushing ourselves to get better and drive our own growth and, and just know that, there's more to learn every day. And if, if, you know, if I'm getting better every single day, I'm eventually going to be um, really strong at what I do. You're exactly right. There's a lot of habits that go along with
0: that. I uh, appreciate that, Steve. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time and you know, I could keep talking with you forever. And I know we've had really great discussions in the past. I want to thank our guest, Steve Bitter and our producer, Mark Winner for making this show possible. Steve, did you have any final thoughts to share with our listeners? Not only that I appreciate getting on this
1: podcast with you. I've been a listener for a long time. It's a real honor to to be here. A lot of my friends and colleagues that I really look up to have uh, gotten the opportunity. So I feel like I've you know finally arrived to get to talk to Dr. Roy on the podcast. I appreciate the chance.
0: <laughs> Steve, you've done a million more cool things than I ever have. So definitely appreciate you joining us. Well, it's been great. Thanks for making time. Please be sure to check out Steve's web links found on his Aquarium Mania guest page. Until next time, visit your local aquarium stores and keep your tanks clean and your animals healthy. And be sure to put the aquarium at the boardwalk in Branson, Missouri on your bucket list. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.